Chapter Fifteen of the Short Stop. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. The Short Stop by Zane Gray. Chapter Fifteen. THE GREAT GAME On the third day of the last series between Columbus and Findlay, the percentage of games won favored the former team by several points. If Columbus won the deciding game, which was the last on their schedule, they would win the pennant. If Findlay won, the percentage would go to a tie. But having three more games with the tail-end Mansfield team, they were practically sure of capturing the flag. The excitement in and about Findlay was intense. Stores and shops and fields closed before noon that Saturday. The pride of Findlay rose in arms. Class was forgotten in loyalty to the common cause. The pastime ballpark opened at one o'clock and closed at two-thirty, packed to its utmost capacity. Hundreds of people were left clamoring outside. The grandstand made a brave picture quality was out in force. The mass of white and blue of the ladies, and their bright moving fans, and soft murmuring laughter, lent the scene that last charm which made it softly gay. Out on the bleachers, and in the roped-off sidelines, was a dense, hilarious, coatless and ventless mob. Peanuts flew like hail in a storm. From one end of the grounds to the other passed a long ripple of unrestrained happiness. The sky shone blue, the field gleamed green, the hour of play was at hand. The practice of both teams received more applause than average games, and the batting order, at last posted on the huge blackboard, excited an extra roar. Findlay, Winters, third base, Thatcher, center field, Chase, shortstop. Havel, left field, Benny, second base, Ford, first base, Spear, right field, Hicks, catcher, Castorius, pitcher, Columbus, Welch, left field, Kelly, shortstop, Horn, catcher, Wilson, third base, Harvey, center field, O'Rourke, right field, Stark, second base, Haynes, first base, Ward, catcher, umpire, Connor. Mac threw up his hands when he saw the name of the umpire. The truth of the matter was that Mac was in a highly nervous state. Managing a ball team was one point less trying than governing an army in the field. The long campaign had worn Mac out. Silk, he exclaimed, I wired the president to send any umpire but Silk. He's after us. Then Cass put on Algy's coat of white and blue and sent him out. Algy knew his business. As the gong called the Columbus players in from practice, Algy pranced round the diamond. When he reached the plate, Cass, who stepped from the bench, called sharply to him. Algy promptly stood on his hind legs. That's for Findlay, yelled Cass to the stands. Then Algy made a ludicrous but valiant effort to stand on his head. That's for Columbus, yelled Cass. The long, laughing roar of the delighted crowd attested to the popular regard for the great pitcher and his dog. "'What'll we take, the field or bat?' asked Mac, 
beginning to fidget. "'Have you lost your nut?' inquired Enoch softly. "'The bat! The bat! Now, fellers, get in the game. We're all on edge. Ward has always been hard for us to beat, but if we can once get him started, it's all off.' "'Chase, come here,' said Mac. Then he whispered, "'I can't keep it. Burke, the Detroit manager, is up in the stand. For Lord's sake, break loose today.' Manon says to me just a minute ago that if you get two hits in this game, your average will go over four hundred. I oughtn't to tell you, but I can't help it. I'm glad you did, replied Chase, with his fingers clinching into his bat. Ward's got steam today, growled Mitty Maru. You guys want her perk up. Play ball, called Silk. The crowd shouted one quick welcoming cry, and then subsided into watchful, waiting suspense. Enoch hit a fly to Kelly, and Thatcher went out, Wilson to Haynes. Chase sent a slow grounder towards short. Wilson fielded the ball as quickly as possible and made a good throw, but Chase, running like a deer, beat the ball to first. The eager crowd opened up. Havel, however, fell a victim to Ward's curves. For Columbus, Welch hit safely. Kelly sacrificed, sending the fleet left fielder to second. On the next play he stole third and scored on Horn's long fly to Havel. Wilson fouled out. Findlay, zero. Columbus, one. Mac began to fidget worse than ever and greeted Cass with a long face. "'What's the matter with you? Ball doesn't seem to have any speed.' Cass deigned not to notice the little manager. When Benny got a base on balls, Mac nudged the player next to him and brightened up. "'Bunt! Ford, he said, and when Ford laid down a neat sacrifice, Mac nudged the player on the other side. That's good, that's good. Spear hit safely, scoring Benny. Thereupon, Mac jammed his elbow into Enoch's ribs and bubbled over. Making sausage again? inquired the genial captain with soft sarcasm. All the players had sore ribs from these jabs of Mac's elbows. He had the most singular way, when the team was winning, of slipping from one end of the bench to the other, jabbing his appreciation of good plays into the anatomy of his long-suffering team. Cass never sat on the bench, and Enoch, always forgetful, usually came in for most of the jabs. Hicks made a good bid for a hit, but, being slow, could not get to first ahead of the ball. Spear went to third. Cass got a double along the left foul line. Enoch walked on balls, and Thatcher's hit scored Cass. The Columbus second baseman caught Enoch trying to get a lead-off second. Findlay three, Columbus one. All the while the crowd roared, and all the while Mac on the bench was going through his peculiar evolutions. A bingo! Good! Jab and jab. Will you look at that? Jab and jab. Keep after em! jab and jab oh oh run you indian run jab 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 neither team scored in the third finley failed again in the fourth but columbus tied the score the game began to warm up with one man out chase opened the fifth with a hard hit to right he believed he could stretch it into a double and strained every nerve he saw the second baseman brace himself, and without slackening his speed, he leaped feet first into the air. He struck the ground and shot through the dust to the base. Just an instant after, he felt the baseman tag him sharply with the ball. Lying there, 
Chase looked for the umpire. Silk came racing down, swept his right hand toward the sidelines, and said, "'You made a grand slide, but you're out.' It seemed then that Chase's every vein burst with the mad riot of hot blood. He sprang to his feet. "'Out! Out! Why, he never touched me till after I hit the bag.' "'Don't show off before Burke,' called Silk. "'You're out. Perambulate.' Chase stamped in his fury, but the mention of Burke cooled him. As he walked off, the whole Finley team, led by Mac, made for the umpire with angry eyes. "'Go back! Go back!' yelled Silk. "'To the bench! I'm running this game. To the bench, or I'll flash my watch!' The uproar in the stands and bleachers gave place to an uproar back of center field. A portion of the fence suddenly crashed forward, and through the gap poured a black stream of yelling men and boys. That one bad decision had served to upset Mac's equilibrium, and he was now raging. Enoch reasoned with him. Cass swore at him. Some of the other players gave him sharp answers. Mac was plainly not himself. He showed it in that inning when he discarded the usual signs and told the team to go ahead on its own hook. Havel and Benny failed to get on base, and once more the Columbus team trotted to the bat. Then the unexpected, the terrible, happened. By sharp hitting, Columbus scored five runs. Cass labored in the box, but he could not stem the torrent of base hits. A fast double play by Chase and Benny, and a good catch by Havel, retired the side. Findlay three, Columbus eight. A profound gloom settled over the field. The bleachers groaned, and a murmur ran through the grandstand. Cass walked up to the bench and confronted Mac. "'I'm done,' said the great pitcher simply. "'My speed's gone. I strained my arm the last game. You'd better put Poke in. He's left-handed, and his speed will likely fool Columbus after my floaters. But say, I won't go out till I get a chance to get after Silk. He needs a little jacking up. He wouldn't give me the corners. I'll make him sick. And fellas, don't quit.' "'Oh, we're licked, we're licked,' cried Mac. Any one to have seen his face would have known how hard he had worked and what the pennant meant to him. But his players evidently were not of the same mind. They were mostly silent, with knitted brows and compressed lips. Mitty Maru never wavered in his crisp, curt encouragement. "'What do we care for five runs? A couple of bingos and wards in the air.' We can win with two out in the ninth, and here we got enough time left to win two games. Stick at em. Don't quit. Keep the yellow down. We'll put this game on ice all right, all right. Cass slowly walked up to the plate. The great crowd had not hope enough to cheer. When the umpire called the first ball, which was pretty well up to Cass's chin, a strike, the crowd yelled. Cass turned square round and glared at Silk. That worthy called another strike while Cass's back was turned to the pitcher. He did right, of course, but the crowd did not know it or think so, and they yelled louder. Cass made no effort to hit the next ball, which was also a strike. Out, called Silk, adjusting his indicator. Cass turned upon the umpire. No tragedian ever put forth a greater effect of outraged scorn and injustice. What? he roared in a voice that penetrated the remotest corners of the field. Three strikes and out,' repeated Silk. "'It was wide,' yelled Cass grandly. 
"'Batter up!' called Silk. "'Say, haven't I a right to speak a word?' demanded Cass. He deliberately walked up to Silk. It was Cass's ruse, a trick as old as baseball, to make a fierce stand in order to influence the umpire on future close decisions. Poor umpires! Theirs was the thankless task, the difficult task, and they were only human. "'You're way off today, Silk,' went on Cass. "'You're rotten. You wouldn't give me the corners, but you give them to Ward.' "'Back to the bench,' ordered Silk. "'Can't I say a word? Not to me.' "'You're rotten. Costs you twenty-five. Ha! Now you're going some. Queered my pitching. Struck me out. And now you find me. We've got a grand show with you calling the plays. Make it fifty, you robber. Fifty it is, replied Silk. Put me out of the game. You're from Columbus. Go ahead. Put me out of the game. Out you go, shouted Silk. The crowd heard and rose with a roar of rage. Cass was their idol, and they were with him to a man. They stamped, yelled, and hissed their disapproval. It began to be a tight place for Silk, and he knew it. Wright was on his side, but under trying circumstances such as these, Wright did not always triumph. "'Put me off the grounds,' bawled Cass. "'Off you go!' yelled Silk, white in the face. Then Cass showed his understanding of the crowd, and the serious nature of the situation. He had turned his trick, now to avert real disaster. It would not have been wise for an umpire to call the game in the face of that angry grandstand and crazy bleachers. Not one umpire in a hundred would have had the nerve. But it was evident that Cass thought Silk might, for he was not afraid of anything. So Cass waved his long arms to the crowds, motioning them to sit down. All right, Silk, out for mine. Cass ran for the bench and grabbed his sweater. He shook his big fist in Polk's face. Now, Rube, at him, fast and over the pan. Mitty, you roast this bunch of debtors back to life. Mac was sitting with his head bowed in his hands. At Cass's last words, he raised a heartbroken face and began to rail at the umpire, at Cass for having a glass arm, and at all the players. When Enoch got hit by a pitched ball and thereby sent to his base with Thatcher up, Mac senselessly yelled to him and tried to start a hit-and-run game, which he had a few moments before discarded. Enoch and Thatcher got confused, and finally when Thatcher hit into second, both were easy outs in a double play. Then the players, sore and disgusted, told Mac a few things. The little manager looked sick. "'I'm running this team,' he howled. Chase suddenly confronted him with blazing eyes. "'No, you're not running the team. You're queerin' our chances. You've lost your head. Go soak it. Climb under the bench. Crawl through the fence. Anything. Only get out.' Mac fell back, a beaten man. His eyes bulged, his lips moved, but no sound came forth. It was plain that he could not believe what he had heard. Chase, his find, his idol, his star, had risen against him. We'll win this game yet. Go hide somewhere, so we can't see your face. Mitty will run the team. Mitty, echoed Mac. Then a spark of Chase's inspiration touched his smoldering baseball sense. Managers and players often do strange things. They follow blind leads and believe in queer omens. They are as superstitious as Indians. Without a word, Mac yielded to his impulse and left the bench. Mitty Maru jumped up into the vacated seat. 
A glow lighted his pale face. His beautiful eyes had a piercing, steely flash. Rube, he said to Poke, cut the inside corner, keep em high, and speed em up. The big knots stood out and rippled on the rail splitter's arms. He was not lost to his opportunity, and there were friends and admirers from his native town there to see him, to glory in his glory. He struck out three successive Columbus hitters, and the hopeless crowd took a little heart. "'What'll I do, Mitty?' asked Chase, picking out his bat. "'They're playing deep for you. Dump one down third. Chase placed a slow teasing bunt down the third base line, and raced with all his speed for first. The play was not even close. It was his third hit. Havel looked at Mitty. The manager said, "'Bunt towards first. The second ball pitched. Havel laid down, as if by hand, along the first base line. Two on bases, no one out. The crowd awoke. "'Now for mine, Mitty,' asked Benny. "'We'll try a double steal. It's not good baseball, but we'll try it. Swing wild on the ball, and balk the catcher. If the play goes through, just tap the next ball down in the infield.' Benny fell all over himself, and all over the catcher. Chase dove into third, and Havel reached second. The bleachers began to yell and stamp. As Ward got into motion with his swing, Chase started home. It happened that the ball was a slow one, and Chase seemed to be beating it to the plate. Everybody gasped. Then Benny tapped the ball in the infield and broke for first. The play bewildered the pitcher, catcher, and third baseman. Chase scored. Havel went to third, and Benny reached first. Then the shrill cries, the whistles, the tin horns and clapping hands showed that the crowd had awakened fully to possibilities. Ford hit into deep short, who threw to second to catch Benny. The play was a close one, and Silk's decision favored the runner. Havel scored. Two runs scored, two men on bases, and nobody out. Roar on roar. Through it all, the little ragged hunchback sat coldly impervious, his fire raged deep. The years of pain and hopeless longing, the boyish hopes never to be fulfilled, had their recompense in that hour of glory. To a man, the players now believed in him. As boy, as manager, as genius, as baseball luck. Spear bunted better than he hit, a fact of which Mitty took advantage. Lay one down to Wilson. Wilson divined the play, came rushing in, picked up the bunt with one hand, and made a splendid throw. One out, runners on second and third. Hicks was a poor hitter in a pinch, another fact Mitty remembered. Work a base on balls. Work hard now. The contortions old man Hicks went through would have disconcerted most pitchers. Ward threw three balls for Hicks, then two strikes, and the next one straight over, seemed a little high. Everybody gasped again. Four balls, called Silk. The crowd broke out afresh. One out. Three runners on bases. Ziegler, batting for Castorius, hit a mean, twisting grounder between short and third. Both men went after it, knocked it down between them, but too late to catch the hitter. Another run scored. And bases full. How the bleachers screamed. Bing one, Cap said Mitty from the heights. Enoch met the first ball squarely. It sailed fast and true into the second baseman's hands. The runners had no chance to move. 
Oh, hard luck, moaned the crowd. Never mind that. Stick at em, cried Mitty, jumping down from his perch. A couple more hits and the game's on ice. Dude, poke one to left. Don't swing, just poke one over the infield. Thatcher went to bat while Enoch ran to the coacher's box and began to yell and scream, to tear up the grass with his spikes, to give every indication of insanity. Thatcher was remorselessly unanxious. He made Ward split the plate, and at last, with three and two, he placed a short fly back of third. Another runner scored. Two out, bases full, one run to tie. Mitty Maru suddenly lost all his quiet. He jumped at Chase and clasped him with small, claw-like hands. His eyes shone on Chase with a power that was hypnotic and through the gleam of power beamed his friendship and hope and faith. Chase, something told me it would hang fire for you. Now, now, my star of the diamond, it's up to you. If ever in your life you put wood on it, do it now. When Chase hurried to the plate, the great crowd rose and shouted one long, sharp cry, and sank into intense silence. The situation was too critical for anything but suspended breath. Enoch's coaching peeled over the field. Oh, my! Mugs Landon, Irish stew, lace curtains, razzmatazz, we're a-gonna do it. We can't be stopped now. Oh, my! They're taking him out. They need another pitcher. The Columbus captain sent Ward to the bench and ordered out Henson, a left-hander. He nervously rubbed the ball. Enoch broke loose again. Henson, look who's at the bat, he yelled in terrible tones. It's Chase. He's leading the league. Oh, oh my, Muggs Landon. If ever Chase felt like Flint, the time was then. He heard nothing. He saw nothing but the pitcher. It seemed he called upon all his faculties to help his eyesight. His whole inner being swelled with emotions that he subordinated to deadly assurance. Henson took his swing and sent up a fast ball. Chase watched it speed by. Ball, called Silk. Henson swung again. Chase got the range of the ball, stepped forward, and, with his straight, clean, powerful sweep, met it fairly. Bing! It rang off like a bell. The crowd burst into thunder. When Chase's liners started off so, only the fence stopped them. This one shot for the corner behind center field. For an instant, everybody thought the ball was going over. But it hit a billboard and bounced back. What a long, booming, hoarse and thrilling roar rent the air. Two runners scored, and Thatcher was coming fast. Then, in the wild moment, all grasped that Chase, with his wonderful fleetness, was gaining on Thatcher. His fair hair streamed in the wind. His beautiful stride swallowed up the distance. The center fielder got the ball and threw to Stark, who had run out to receive the throw. As Chase, now close to Thatcher, turned third, Stark lined the ball home. Every heart was bursting. Every eye was staring. The women were screaming, Run, boy! Run, boy! Oh, run! 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 and yet could not hear their own voices. The men were roaring, On! 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 Ah! The Findlay players leapt like warriors around a stake. 
Mittie Maru ran toward the plate. Stark's great throw sped on. Thatcher scored. Slide, Chase, slide! In one blended roar the whole crowd voiced a fear, awful at the moment. Chase slid in a flash of dust across the plate, a fraction of time ahead of the ball. It bounded low, glanced off the catcher's glove, and struck Mitty, who whirled late, fairly on his hump. Poor Mitty went down as if he had been shot, spun round like a top, and lay still. But few on the field saw this accident. The crowd had gone into a sort of baseball delirium tremens. Chase had made a home run inside the grounds, scoring four more runs. A thunderbolt out of the clear sky would have passed unnoticed. Someone carried Mitty into the dressing room. The game went on. Polk blanked the Columbus players inning after inning. The heart was taken out of them. Finley won. Before a week, voiceless, shaken, Disheveled, happy crowd, the score went up. Findlay eleven, Columbus eight. Inside the dressing room, the players grouped silently, with pale faces, around a space where a doctor worked over Mitty Maru. A cold hand gripped their hearts. The doctor kept shaking his head and working, working. Still, the little misshapen form lay huddled in a small heap. The pale, distorted face showed no sign of life. Ah, breathed the doctor in sudden relief. Mitty Maru began to stir. He twisted, his narrow breast heaved, he moaned in pain, broke into incoherent speech. Then, as consciousness fully returned, he lived over the last play he had seen. Steady, chase old man, eagle eye, now old boy, lay back, bing the next one. Oh, run, Chase! Up on your toes! Now you're flying! Make it a triple! Come on! Come on! Come on! 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 It's a homer! It's a homer! It's a homer! End of chapter 15